Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for this gathering that we um, can come together, direct our praise and our, our honor and our worship towards you. And uh, Father, we pray that by the power of your spirit, you might move in this place. And um, thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in a series from the book of Acts, looking specifically at the power of the Holy Spirit and how God was active, especially during the time of the birth of the church. And um, so w- this, is, uh, this is actually week three of the series, but this is only my second message to do. I couldn't quite get through what I was going to try and do last week, so you get what I was going to do last week, this week. But um, it's been a good, good series, and we got a few more to go. Um, if you're going to hang around, if you want to, I would encourage you to hang around for Pastor Jeff's uh, message. I'm in chapter 9 of Acts. He's on to chapter 10. Um, and it's re- it, it might, you might see some good connections there between the two messages. But we're in Acts chapter 9, so if you have a Bible uh, or, a, or a smart device or something to look up Scripture on, feel free to do that. Acts chapter 9. I'll give you a little bit of a setup. So this first part of Acts chapter 9 uh, records probably the most famous conversion story recorded in Scripture. Um, it's, a, it's a powerful, powerful story. In many ways, it's, it's quite dramatic. Uh, you were aware of a man in the Bible by the name of Paul. He wrote, depending upon who you listen to, he either wrote 13 or 14 of the books in the New Testament, all right? Uh, epistles. He wrote these letters, and he spoke to the churches of his time. Uh, and they were, they were there are important messages that, uh, of instruction. Uh, we, a lot of times we refer to them as the pastoral epistles. Paul. Before he was Paul, he was Saul. And uh, that, that gives you a little bit of a hint as to the nature of conversion because you get a whole new identity. And in his case, he got a whole new name. God only, not only changed him and changed his heart and converted him, but God gave him a, Jesus gave him a whole new name. And that's really the story that we're going to look at because um, Saul's conversion gives us a little hint, Saul to Paul, his conversion gives us a little bit of an idea, a little bit of a hint of what it means for us and how conversion works for you and me. Now, the word itself is kind of an interesting word, right? Um, you generally don't you probably don't use that word a lot in everyday, you know, activity. We don't even hear that word perhaps even in, in our culture today unless you're referring to a conversion van, right? And I don't know how many people even drive conversion vans anymore. I'm sure they're out there. That's cool if you have one. It's all right. Um, but conversion is kind of a churchy, religious word, right? And so it might make us slightly nervous to think about uh, conversion. But in reality, um, the... the Conversion or converting happens all the time in the culture and in the world, right? For example, I heard a story not long ago, just a couple of weeks ago, in fact, about a group of guys, and they were called the Missing Chins Run Club. The Missing Chins Run Club. And as you can tell by the title of their group, they were just a Facebook group, their whole, the whole focus of the group was to take 
uh, beer-drinking, back-slapping men and convert them into healthy, wholesome uh, young men uh, who cared about their health. That's basically the idea of the group. So one guy had this idea, uh, and they were all a bit, you know, they were a bit overweight. They needed to take care of their health a little bit, little bit better, and that's what he called it. He, he created this group, the Missing Chins Run Club. And this thing now has like thousands and thousands and thousands of members, men, who have joined this group, um, who, who love what they're getting from the guy who's, who started the group, and they are changing their lives, they're changing the way that they do life. And, it's, it, and they show the results. You see all these guys, collectively they've lost somewhere in the neighborhood of about 4,000 pounds, something like that, all right? Collectively in this group, they've lost about 4,000 pounds. Total, total, total transformation, or we might say conversion. Because what happens, not only is there a physical reality to that change and that transformation, right? Your body converts, if you will. Um, there, there's, a, there's a reality of something that has happened on the inside. How many of us know, we are fully aware, that you can do a lot of work on the outside, but unless the inside is legitimately turned, that external reality or change won't continue, right? You ever change something? You ever, you ever uh, change your life for like 24 hours? Yeah. We pulled that off. I got through one day. And then I'm back to the old way of doing things. So we wouldn't call that conversion. We would just call that white knuckling. Yes, I got through it, right? And so, so the reality is conversion is something that happens that we see all the time around us. Now we know stories too of how people have been converted in life. Weight loss or, or something has happened that's changed their thinking about something significant. Something has happened, happened on the inside that's changed their soul and their character. And it's, it's a total different uh, person. And that's kind of what we're talking about when it comes to spiritual conversion. And in the, in the, in the, in the New Testament, in particular here in Acts, we see this idea of conversion being, being, being nurtured by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the work of converting. Now, what it's, it's close to the idea of repentance. All right, again, another old kind of churchy word that we use, repentance. Uh, but here's kind of how they work together. So repentance would be a person making an about face. You turn, right? Conversion is still, is that process of continuing to walk in that direction, right? So our spiritual lives involve this notion of repentance, but then it also involves this continuing now in the same direction. Um, in the Gospels, um, uh, John the Baptist makes this great statement. He says, um, uh, 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 repent, con- uh, sorry, he talks about continuing, he says repentance is continuing to grow fruit or to build fruit um, uh, the fruit of repentance uh, and moving in a different direction is what he hints at. That's, the, that's kind of the essence of what he says. And so it's, con- it's repentance and then there's conversion. And conversion, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what he says. And conversion is how we move into that fruitfulness, right? And that's the power of the Spirit both to turn us and then to get us to continue to move in the direction of conversion. So that's what happens with Saul who becomes who becomes Paul. Um, before that, we pick up, we're going to pick up the story 
here in Acts 9, pre-conversion, what was Paul like? Well, it's pretty, it pretty intense because it says that he breathed out murderous threats towards the other disciples, towards the disciples. In other words, he was a Christian killer, all right? He killed Christians and he, he made no bones about it and he slept well at night. He was out to destroy what they called the way, the way. He was out to destroy Christians and he was serious business about it, all right? But then something would happen, God would, Jesus would confront him. So we pick up the story here in chapter 9. And if you look at um, chapter 9, verses 4 through 6 with me, it says this. He fell to the ground, right? He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? That was his question. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So Saul is walking along to carry out more persecutions of Christians. He's on the Damascus Road. He's struck down by this brilliant, brilliant light and he's confronted by God. And he, he says something quite powerful here. He asks an important question, one I think is absolutely pivotal to our own personal conversion. What does he say there? He says, who are you, Lord? Wow. Who are you, Lord? Now, don't, Paul, Saul was a Pharisee. He was a religious guy. He, to a certain extent, understood who God was or who he thought God was. This is not some, some pagan man who is totally disconnected from God, is just out to destroy Christians and God. This is a guy of faith, if you will. He is a Pharisee. He is a religious man. He know, and yet he asks this question, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And I would, I would venture to guess that that is the question that a lot of us ask along this journey towards conversion. I think it's prompted by the Spirit of God. I think it comes when we, when we um, encounter Jesus, when there is a Damascus Road sort of experience in our own lives, in our own reality, there, we ask the question, who are you, Lord? In fact, I would venture to guess throughout our entire Christian lives, there are points along the way where we ask that question, who are you, Lord? Who are you? And it's certainly, it's certainly true that Paul had a sense of who the Lord was, but here in this new encounter with God, in the middle of his tirade against the way and against Christians, he asked the question, again, interesting question. So I did a little research to kind of, uh, to, so I could talk about this a little bit. There's a book that was written um, about seven, eight years ago. It's called America's Four Gods. Now, I thought it was interesting because um, he asked the question, who are you, Lord? And I think it's the same question that many people ask, especially in America. So there's only 5% of people in the U.S., only 5% of people in the U.S. who would claim that they are not Christian. 
Only 5%. So the rest of us at some level are saying we are people who believe in God. But the question becomes what kind of God are you? Who are you, Lord? So it's interesting what this book was pointing out. It said there are basically four views, four gods, if you will, that people in America believe in. There's the authoritative God. The authoritative God. Now think in your mind, especially if you grew up in a Christian, in a Christian home. Maybe you grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist home or some other faith home. Did you have an authoritative God that you were presented with? If you ask the question, you know, did you kind of did you kind of sit in your house and kind of go, "Who are you, God?" Well, according to my parents, you are this way. Very authoritative. There's another God that we worship here in America: the benevolent God, the benevolent God. This is the God, right? That is very loving and gracious and kind towards towards us. The benevolent God. And some of you grew up in homes. In families, you would say that the benevolence of God was emphasized. We knew that God loved us. We knew that God demonstrated grace towards us, that God wasn't out to destroy us. There's another God that we worship in America. It's the critical God, the critical God. Maybe you grew up believing that God was just a critic, that he was constantly sort of judging you. He's constantly trying to watch for you to step out of line so he could, like, send lightning down and zap you back in the place. The critical God. And then there's the distant God. And basically people with the distant God believe in God. All these folks believe in God. But the distant God is the God who created the world, formed the universe, and then stepped away from it. Just sort of let it, kind of lets it play out. Most of the other views of God believe that God is actually involved. In fact, most Americans believe that God is actively engaged in their personal affairs, that God is real and that he, he's consistently engaged in your personal affairs. In fact, most Americans believe in miracles. In contrast to Europeans who basically believe kind of like the distant God idea. They believe that God... Um, Big Bang sort of God created the world, set it in motion, and took his hands off of it. That's different from you and I as, as Americans. We believe that there's a God. He's engaged, and he performs miracles, and he especially performs miracles because we're American, right? <laughs> Some people believe that, right? So, so that's... That's who, that's us asking the question. And some of you fall, we all fall into one category or another. Who are you, Lord? And it's the critical question, really, that we face. And I don't think it's just simply one time. I think there are constant encounters with this God. And we're constantly asking, who are you, God? So get this. Get this, go over to Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11, and we get a little bit more insight into who Paul, Saul, who, who Saul thought God was, all right? Who thought, so it says this, I too, think it, listen, listen to what he says. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That's what he said. That, this is who I believe God is for me in this moment. He has called me to take down this Jesus of Nazareth. 
That's, the, uh, that's where he's operating from. And that, it is just the, what I di- and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, the authority, there's that authority word. I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul was th- Saul was thoroughly convinced of what he was doing. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed. I was so obsessed. Was he converted? Yes, he was converted on the notion that this is what God would want him to do to take out Jesus. I was so obsessed, he says, with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. That's a guy who was, who was, who was absolutely convinced that that's what he was supposed to do. But then he encounters God in a different way. You see, it's, it's interesting, um, and this comes out usually during political seasons and campaigns. We will see a candidate step up and, and, and say something about what he believes, and he'll take a stand on that, and he'll be, and people will take video of it and record it, and then later on in the campaign, it could be even, you know, further down the road in the campaign, and they'll say, dude, you, you remember what you were saying back here? You, you said this, that you believed this way about a certain thing. And now you're getting up here during the debate and you're saying, you're saying something all kind of different. The truth of the matter is, this process of conversion allows us to come to new understandings of who God is. In other words, if you read the Bible enough, if you engage God enough, you'll begin to understand more about who this God is. And it may very well change the way that you relate to God and relate to other people. Thank the Lord Jesus that the majority of the Christians in this world have said that racial prejudice is a sin and a bad thing. And it's not who God made us to be. Because if that weren't the case, I wouldn't be up here preaching. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Thank the Lord Jesus there was a conversion in Christianity. There was something that changed. Because some of us, because back in the day, folks, they justified slavery from the Bible. Those were Christian people saying, hey, this is is all right. We, We can look right here in Scripture and, yeah, it should be. But they changed, there's some changes that came along and people challenged that notion. They said, no, 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 we, we see, but God wants us to be this way that we should love people and not oppress people. And there shouldn't be a whole group of, uh, an ethnic group of people that should be in bondage. Thank the Lord that people change, that there is a conversion that happens. That we progress. Those of you who grew up with Ellen White, right? You know that there is a progression, there is a conversion, there is a change in thinking even for her. That you, she would move more from an, a legalistic standpoint to where she would emphasize righteousness by faith. And that threw people all off because they were really good. They were really happy when she was, you know, kind of hammering down on, on, on legalism and kind of coming across very legalistic. But... Then she started talking about grace, that we should contemplate the life death, and, uh, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on a regular basis. 
That threw people off. Why? Because this relationship thing with God, this knowing Jesus, this conversion experience prompted by the Holy Spirit, is, it's a progressive sort of thing. So we walk and, relate in, we walk and relate to God. God changes us. God converts us. God does all kinds of things in our lives. Let me take you to another passage. This is Acts 9, verses 15 through 17. And this is kind of where it really comes home for all of us as Christ followers, because not only is it a matter of sort of changing our minds, and, but it's also this matter of being willing to do what God wants us to do. All right, so Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 17. But the Lord said to Ananias, this was the guy who was going to go and talk to, to Saul um, and, and, let him, and heal him of his blindness, and the Holy Spirit would come. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name. He's talking about Saul. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I'm just going to go to that passage. And it's that last part that says, I'm going to show him what, how he must suffer for my name. The powerful thing about conversion is that you begin to realize that your life is not your own. And you begin to become less concerned about you and more concerned about Jesus, what God wants. Professing, proclaiming. So here, here's, the, here's the contrast with, with Saul, who would become Paul. It says that he breathed out murderous threats towards the, towards the disciples. But later on in the chapter post-conversion, it says that he spoke boldly for the name of Jesus. Contrast. Different dude. Totally different thing. He breathed out murderous threats trying to suppress and hold down the name of Jesus. And then God touches his life. He encounters Jesus. And now he speaks boldly. The same energy, but with now under the power of the Holy Spirit, but the same energy now directed towards proclaiming the name of Jesus. You know, sometimes we, sometimes we talk about, or we, we have people in our lives, we have friends that, that we're, we look at them and how they are and how they act, and they're, maybe they're far from God, but we look at them and we go, man, if... If they could do their party life, if, they, if we could get them converted, and as hard as they party and do their thing, if we can convert them towards God and they be, become a great witness for God, many people would come to know Jesus, right? There are those people out there who we say, man, if that were turned over to the power of the Holy Spirit, watch out. God would do amazing things through that person. All right, so kind of the, to, to wrap it up here, there's this trajectory that we get to be on as Christians, and it basically involves this encounter with the living God. It may not be as dramatic as a Damascus road, right? It may not be as dramatic as a Damascus road. It may come in the privacy and the quiet of your own home while you're opening the Bible or while you're saying a prayer. It may come as you're at work sitting at your desk and you're reading a devotional. I don't know how or when it comes, but God sort of reveals himself to you in such a way and the spirit moves in 
and you were once blind to who God was in that way, and now you see. There's encounter. And then there's this turning that happens. There's a change that happens. Our, our minds change. We become fully convinced in another way. We were going this way, but now we're fully convinced. There's a, there's a change which changes the priorities, which changes our, our thinking, changes even the way that we act towards other people. And then there's kind of this, this, this other, this final notion, and that is there are now values and convictions and belief systems that now drive how we do life. And because oftentimes those values and those belief systems are contrary to what the culture around us would have us to do, it may bring on suffering. That's why Jesus would say, that's why it would say that I'm going to show him how he's going to suffer in my name. Because the minute you become fully convinced that God is who he said he, he is, that, that I'm going to devote and commit my life fully to him, I'm, turning my, I'm, I'm, I'm going in the direction of conversion, I'm going to move in that direction, I'm going, to, I'm going to hang on to these values and these convictions, and I'm going to live them. You may very well encounter suffering. It just goes with the territory. Real quick story, and I'll, I'll end with this. So I was talking, this is, this is true to life, and you may have a similar experience. I was talking to a, a young adult just a couple of weeks ago. And um, relationships are really huge when you're in your 20s, late 20s, early 30s. Relationships, particularly the romantic kind, are really, really huge. And so if you're dating someone, that's, that's kind of significant. And you, the natural progression of that, is, especially in your 20s and so forth, is that you move towards a more permanent relationship. Maybe you get married or something like that. And this person has had a relationship like that. It's moving in that direction. But they are both. She's a Seventh-day Adventist, but, but he is not. And so they kind of always had in the back of their minds that that could someday present a bit of a challenge. And so, but, you know, hey, you kind of go along, you see maybe how the relationship works out, you get close, and, and then it's getting to that point where you kind of got to, you got to make that next step. But then you start to drill down on the personal beliefs and convictions and ideals about God and about church and about faith that each of you has. And you drill down to a place where people have these convictions and if they're, they're truly kind of moving in a direction and there's a conversion there, they won't move. They won't budge. They won't change. And that's kind of where they were. And, and she told me this through her tears, basically, saying, I had to make a decision. And, it was, and I knew that it would cause grief and suffering because this was a tight, they were together. They were heading towards the altar, man. But I had, to make a, I had to make this decision because I am fully convinced, she said, that the way I believe and, and what I understand about God and the Bible matters a lot to me. And were I to, to be with someone who did not share those same convictions and beliefs, that may not go in the right direction. It may, in fact, cause me to have to compromise what I believe. 
what happens? Suffering. Suffering. Now you have to say goodbye. Now you have to, you know, now there's the breakup. And so the, the same is true for you and me in this, in, this, in this growing, in this process of being converted to understanding who God is and what that means now to live it out in everyday life under, our, under the convictions that the Holy Spirit puts on us. It may very well mean that I experience some suffering, that I struggle through, that I may have to sacrifice and give up that which I'm fully, that I was fully convinced of that this was okay and this was going to be all right. That's tough. That's a challenge, man. But it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we come to that place. And God grows us, God changes us, God transforms us. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we've had this morning. Thank you for the power of um, the Spirit of God, the power of your Spirit, Lord, to move us in such a way that we are fully convinced about who you are, God. And we're willing to live in such a way that honors and glorifies you. And though that may create some problems and some challenges in our lives, Lord, may we with firm conviction hang on to that reality. We thank you, Father. We pray that your spirit would be active and at work in our lives to give us an experience of conversion so that we may go out and proclaim your name with boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See you guys next week.